0: This morning I thought I'd preach on all the readings. The second Sunday of Easter begins during the great 50 days, the appropriation of the Easter message, the new life transformation uh, life that resurrection promises for the people of God. So they are now beginning to come to terms with the answer to the question, how then must we live? So we read during this time, From the book of Acts is the first reading normally uh, because it's about the history of the early church and how they began to appropriate the Easter message for themselves. We can now read from the Hebrew Bible and we do it from time to time, but I like to read from the book of Acts because it's one of the great themes of the fourfold shape, and that's the history of salvation. How did the church live? So I want to preach. On this text from the book of Acts, to preach on 1 John, which is about another of the great themes of the fourfold shape, and then, of course, to say a word about the gospel, which is the gospel we read every second Sunday of Easter, and that's about Thomas. So we'll see where it takes us. Uh, Here's the text from the book of Acts. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. This sometimes is referred to as the primitive communism of the early church. Oh boy. So maybe we need to ask the question, is this a system of community life that the early church adopted and universally lived in the first couple of centuries of Christianity? And the answer to that is no. But here's the thing. Our patron, Luke, is the author of a two-volume set, The Gospel According to St. Luke and The Book of Acts. More than any other writer in the New Testament, he is concerned about the issues of economic justice and equity And he proposes in this two-volume set various ways of understanding how we must use our possessions and how we should order a society that labors to make it easier for people to be good. So in the book of Acts, Luke is at pains to say the church was at unity They shared their possessions and they continued to proclaim the Easter faith. Luke, in all of his writings in the Gospel and in the Book of Acts, talks about three ways he understands communities should handle their possessions. One is sharing them in common. The other one is to renounce All possessions. And that means you can see in the history of Christianity the beginnings of that with the growth of the monastic movement in the third century with the Desert Fathers in Egypt. The giving away of all those possessions. And finally, the third is the giving of alms. Using your possessions for godly purposes at least in part. And it seems through the biblical research in the early church that this began to become the focus of how people understood handling their possessions. So the sharing of goods in common cannot be understood as a single idea that the church should live by. Some communities did do that, what Luke is getting at, of course, is that we're unified in we should all care for one another. And how do we do that? You know, I got, it popped into my head when I was preaching at 9 o'clock. My grandfather used to call the free enterprise system, capitalism, the mainspring of human progress. Bound to do the best for the most. One of the books that's used to support this view or sort of the philosophical underpinning of what we call capitalism or the free market was a book written by a rather boring and doer Scottish uh, philosopher during the Scottish Enlightenment named Adam Smith. And the book was called The Wealth of Nations. And it spoke to us about the invisible hand as it operates within the market forces and has the self-regulatory power to do the best for the most. So when we have a conversation about this, something is left out. You know, the great conservative member of parliament in the 18th century, the Anglo-Irish member of parliament, Edmund Burke, said, there is nothing shorter than the public's memory. And why do I say that? Because Adam Smith wrote another book before he wrote The Wealth of Nations. And that book was entitled A Theory of Moral Sentiments. And he presupposed, when he wrote The Wealth of Nations, that people would be operating within the market using some moral and ethical self regulation with regard to how they understood comporting yourself in that setting. I don't know, kind of is amusing, isn't it? It would be nice if the public's memory was a little longer and that we somehow needed to exercise some sense of um, what Luke talks about, you know, and that is is that we look out for one another and we're concerned about people on the margins and that's an important thing. I have to say, this is putting my neck out, but I've got to tell you that it just just absolutely amuses me, no end, that in the public discourse in this country now, we've actually got people who are talking again about Ayn Rand. I read Ayn Rand when I was 15 years old. It seemed compelling then. Good night, nurse. You think... Policy ought to come out of that kind of stuff. Please. We need to think a little bit about how we look after one another. You know? And that's what this text is about. The Easter faith, the taking seriously that everybody is made in God's image. That because of the resurrection, new life transformation, the defeat of the powers and the principalities on the cross we have a new opportunity as human beings. And that comes to us in every age and every time. And the presence and the power of the risen Christ in the hearts of all faithful people is one of the things that provides the energy for us to do that. So in the reading from 1 John, we have something of a uh, suggestion about what went on in the resurrection and what continues to go on within the Christian community as we understand the presence of the light of Christ. Because for the author of 1 John, Jesus was the light of the world. In the Easter liturgy, we light the paschal candle as a symbol of the pillar that led the people of Israel by night. So it is a light that shows us the way in the darkness, the physical darkness. It shows the community of faith how to proceed in uncertain times and circumstances. And through the prayer and worship of the Church of God, people began to see that this light of Christ was not merely an external presence, But it was an internal presence that shone on our emotional, spiritual, and mental states in two ways. To amplify and affirm those godly aspects of our character that help us be the best human beings that we can be. And also the light that shines on the places in our internal emotional and spiritual states and mental states which are worthy of being worked on. The author of 1 John calls that sin. And he says, you know, because of the light of Christ shining on those dark places, we also have an advocate, Jesus Christ, whose unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness, forgiveness allows us to enter this process of self-examination and reflection and behavioral change without fear. Without fear. During this process. Because he says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We have another, I like a word better, he is the propitiation. Propitiation of our sins, right? And so by that process, we understand that it's possible for us uh, to be better human beings and allow the light of Christ to shine in our hearts. Most of the time, preachers preach on this gospel that we read every second Sunday because it's doubting Thomas. You know, so... We talk about doubts and we talk about how it's okay to have doubts or we go on and on about that sort of thing. And, you know, uh, Episcopalians believe that you should be able to bring to bear the full force and effect of your intellectual powers on the deep things of Christian faith and belief. I think there is in in the present day, and maybe there always has been, an overweening skepticism about all kinds of things that isn't particularly healthy and it masquerades for a legitimate uh, engagement with the questions. And really the Savior is encouraging the apostles in today's reading to do just that. I think he's rather easy on Thomas. The rebuke is not strong. But remember, this particular thing occurs within uh, some other things that go on. Jesus comes into the room and he breathes on the apostles and he gives them his spirit. And he gives them the power of the keys whatsoever sins are retained on earth are retained in heaven whatsoever sins are forgiven on earth are forgiven in heaven the power of the keys and he tells them that this spirit is going to be the thing that is one of the great animating factors of the early community this is what he is implying here remember at our baptism one of the other parts of the fourfold shape, we receive three infused virtues, three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. And by virtue of that, we also at our baptism received the spirit of God, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. And so the spirit is part of the illuminative processes of God at work in the hearts of all faithful people. And it provides us the ability to be people of faith, to be people of hope, and to be people of love. Episcopalians believe a lot of different things about how we get saved. Like all churches influenced by the Continental Reformation in the 16th century... We say that we are saved or justified by our faith and nothing that we can do. But a number of Episcopalians and Anglicans throughout history, since the formative period of our tradition, say you cannot understand faith separate from hope and charity, or hope and love. And that those things are a necessary part To how we understand the process of salvation, which is the healing presence of God at work in our lives. And as we engage others with faith, hope, and love, that we understand the importance of that healing power and the coming to maturity in our spiritual journey. This is a very important thing, you know. Too much focus is laid on a a very momentary occurrence within the processes of salvation and completely ignore the whole living into being rightwise with God, being made righteous through the power of God's love. So Jesus is talking to Thomas about his skepticism And he says one of the great lines Do you believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have come to believe. He didn't say, Have not seen and believe. Have not seen and come to believe. What was the situation on the ground for the community of John's gospel? John's gospel is the latest gospel in the New Testament. It dates from about 90 AD. Gospel means good news. But for all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is the good news brought up to date. And people in the Johannine community, now two generations away, are struggling with how do I come to believe? The eyewitnesses are all dead. So how is it that we come to believe? So when you think about this reading, think about coming to believe in other areas of your life. Things that you have appropriated by faith and as you have intentionally lived in a direction, you have now come to believe. You have had the trust and the assurance of the presence of God in your life. And by virtue of that, you are able now to live into the promises of God. So I think this week the assignment should be to uh, think about your possessions and how you use them. Think about the generosity of spirit that all of us are called to emulate, that you and I are part of one another, and that it is affirmed in the book of Acts and elsewhere in the New Testament as central to the gospel message. Give thanks for the opportunity to be an instrument of the light of Christ in the world, in big and small ways, and to be open to seeing that light in other people. All of us are made in God's image. And you know, when we talk about Jesus as the light and we use all these categories, the risen Christ, the transformed, we are saying we have seen the human face of God. And while Jesus is the unique focus of the divine presence, you and I also can reflect back to the world that divine presence as well. In fact, it is part of our responsibility as being faithful to our mission to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. Give thanks for the opportunity to do that during the great 50 days. Amen. Amen.